Welcome to episode 22 of Crossroads of Destiny, an Avatar The Last Airbender Universe podcast. Right now we're talking about every episode of Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender, one at a time. I'm Chad Hopkins, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Andrew and Melanie Grant. How is it going, guys? It's going great. Yep. It's going very well. We just watched uh, the Oscars and (laughs) all the stuff that happened therein, Mm -hmm. and uh, then we watched some Avatar. And so uh, let's just sort of hop into things. Why not? (laughs) Interesting Uh, night. It has been interesting, yes. That does lead us into an interesting episode of Avatar. It's, It's kind of, it kind of reminds me of the Great Divide a little bit in that there's not necessarily a whole lot that happens here, and you could call it, quote, a filler mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. in the event that there's nothing like major plot wise happening and we're literally just journeying somewhere but mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of love for this episode out there because we've got musicians and we've got songs and we'll talk about that we are talking about book two chapter two which is titled the cave of two lovers it was directed by lauren mcmullen written by joshua hamilton it aired on march 24th of 2006 so just over 16 years ago like we're just painful yep (laughs) and animated by jam animation a brief summary during a pit stop on their way back to amashu so ang can learn earth bending from king bumi the trio comes across a band of singing and dancing free-spirited nomads the nomads tell them about the legend of the two lovers who created secret tunnels through the mountains Unable to fly on Appa due to nearby Fire Nation attackers, they all venture into the tunnels, hoping to not get lost in the midst of the labyrinth within. So are there any just sort of surface level things to say about this episode before we dive into the meat and potatoes of it? The cursed labyrinth. The, the cursed labyrinth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like they just, I know it was for comedic sake, but he just was like, oh yeah, we're going to go into this cave and it's fine. That's like a shortcut. And doesn't even say anything about being cursed until they're walking. They're into walking it. in, and the only one yeah. that seems to be affected is is Sokka. Yeah, neither Katara nor Aang have any sort of reaction. But we already saw that this is kind of their only option at this point. Yeah. After they try to fly through Fire Nation infested territory and that basically get shot out. Mm-hmm. Whatever makes Appa feel comfortable. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and so they go into a tunnel. The animals in this episode were very amusing. They like kind of have their own subplot without even actually having any dialogue. And I think that's really a fun addition to the story. You mean Appa and Momo specifically? Yeah. 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 Towards the end there, he was like, we were separated. Yeah. Let me tell yeah. you what happened. Catching each other There up. are these giant yeah. wolf bat things. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I think that's hilarious that like they gave 12 seconds of Momo just explaining to Appa <laughs> and all this like lemur chittering what happened while they were gone. And Appa's like stress relief as soon as he exited yes. and like flopping yes. onto his back. Like finally we're out of there. And honestly, Oppa reminded me of you, Andrew, in this episode of like your hatred for small spaces mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how you would have a thousand percent been like Oppa that entire yeah, time. Thousand yeah. percent. Claustrophobia. I, I suffer from that a little bit too. <laughs> we mentioned the songs. We have a great performance by <laughs> none other than D. Bradley Baker, who is the voice of Oppa and Momo <laughs> and basically any animated animal you've ever heard in a TV show. He's the guy who voices Chong as well and does all the singing and everything. (laughs) I don't think I knew that. Yeah. That's a a fun fact. Just beautiful. And there is an appearance by, I'm assuming, I didn't actually look this up, but I think it's Dante Bosco's brother, I would assume, who plays the nomad named Moku. Moku. Yeah. (laughs) Nope. Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, great songs. I, I was tempted to try and learn the Secret Tunnel song on my ukulele and bring it with me, but I did not prepare 
oh, in time gotcha. to make that happen. Fair oh, that would really yeah. fun. Maybe <laughs> next time. Bonus episode. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. Let's get into what happens in this episode. So we start off with Katara teaching Aang the octopus form. And we automatically see that Aang has made a lot of progress mm-hmm. with Katara as his teacher, considering the last time we saw like non-Avatar state-influenced waterbending from him, he was turning himself into a snowman. <laughs> yes. Mm. Mm, yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, so we see some more awesome waterbending from Katara as she's sort of mounting this attack, quote-unquote attack, on Aang to, to practice this octopus form, but we see that Aang has grown quite adept at more advanced waterbending techniques, especially considering we haven't seen this technique really... Well, we've seen it before. The octopus one? The octopus. I think we've seen Katara do some form of it mm. in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Either that or maybe it was Paku, but I, I do think we've seen it. Okay. Yeah. It was, I think it was Paku. No, I think so far all we've seen Katara do is her little, the the one whip thing. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have like the multiple. Yeah, maybe Which not. Which is why, I mean, I, I know that she is, but that's why I find it kind of amusing that she's quote unquote master yeah. Katara now. Yeah, we don't, well, like we've we don't seen see you do a lot like of that development. Two things. Yeah, we don't see a lot of that development because they're just at the Northern Water Tribe. Yeah, there's no description of how long they're actually there for, but I, I would assume at least a couple of weeks. Not that any normal person could reach master status in that amount of time, but I think Katara has shown herself to be special, and she she spent so much time sort of practicing on her own, so it was just sort of like unleashing her potential to finally mm-hmm. be in the presence of a master. Yeah. Yeah, and being told that she couldn't. Right, right. It really uh, <laughs> drives certain people to accomplish things at a much faster pace yeah we don't lose ang's playful side though because right after he successfully implements this octopus form katara says you're a great octopus young pupil or something like that and we see him like dancing inside <laughs> of his octopus form. Dance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this was a cute episode it was playful mm-hmm. yeah especially with how heavy like when we just we kind of rewatched the first episode of this mm-hmm. season two and that is a very heavy episode right especially in comparison. But I like, feel like this is what they do to us. They give us like these little fluff episodes mm-hmm. and then because then they're like, <laughs> because it's going to be really tragic for the next like three. Well, right. I mean, to, to have episode one be, oh, by the way, if you die in the Avatar state by Avatar, it doesn't yeah. exist yeah, anymore. That, I forgot about that. And, and then like, to see how this one ends and where we're going into the next episode. I mean, Kinda we sucks. can go ahead and say it. This episode ends with them reaching Omashu, which was their destination and finding right. that it's been overtaken by the fire nation yeah so yeah. we can anticipate that what's coming next is going to be quite unfortunate intense as well, intense as well because we don't know the status of boomy or any of the other right. vendors in right. omashu and it's not like omashu is some small earth nation town like it's no it's this, a major city yeah run by like, a very powerful earthbender yeah it's just short of bossing say yeah. in that regard it's, right. it's one of the big earthbending cities mm-hmm we see in this opening sequence that Aang still has a little bit of a crush on Katara. as She sort of does the whole mini golf date thing where she comes up behind him and corrects yeah, his, corrects his form. Yeah. <laughs> With the, the blush and the, the, oh my gosh. Yeah. And the huge eyes. The shimmering yeah. eyes. That's what, that's what got you, Drew. <laughs> Beautiful. And so at this point, as they're getting ready to get back on their journey to Amashu, that the nomads that we spoke of show up, there's Chong, there's Lily, who is his wife, and there's a few others. The only other one that's named is Moku. And uh, their first their first impression is, hey, hey, there's river people. <laughs> we're just like, normal we're people, ain't we all, brother? Aren't we all, brother? <laughs> it's very 60s yeah. flower child vibe. Yeah, he even references Bob Dylan at one point where he says, the tunnels, <laughs> they're a-changing. Yeah. <laughs> 
he's very airheaded. He's very go with the flow. It, it is very hippie, hippie mm-hmm. adjacent. And he keeps calling Aang little arrowhead or master arrowhead, which <laughs> yeah. I really like. And then at the very end, is like to the realization, <laughs> like y'all don't make any sudden moves. I think that's the avatar. <laughs> <laughs> He learns that they're on their way to Amashu, and he says, hey, I know the secret pass from this real legend through the mountains. It'll get you there faster. And when they are attacked by Fire Nation army as they try and fly, they're like, okay, well, this is our only choice. So they do end up going with the nomads into the tunnels, and they have to figure out what this, this legend is. That says you have to trust in love in order to get through means. And uh, they're not successful at first because it does appear that the tunnels are changing as they make their their way through. And Melanie, you commented on Sokka's role in this episode. Yeah, I just Sokka is not usually the voice of reason, I feel, in some of the episodes. And so he seemed to be the only one that was like, we have a purpose, guys. Like, why are we lollygagging? We should be doing this, this, and this. So he was like very task oriented this mm-hmm. episode which was i felt like it's not how he normally is but you guys stood on the the different part well, of i it. think he's had his moments mm-hmm. yeah as a general rule yes he's not that person but when he feels like he needs to take charge he he does well he even says something to that effect in this episode before they enter the tunnels uh, he says since Katara is busy, busy. i'm no, going to no. sort of assume this role yeah i do think it's interesting that he doesn't refute the idea of there being a curse or a legend he sort of just goes along with it and i think that's a big turn from how he started off the series where he he called it like magic water right. and yeah. he he was very anti the sort of spiritual side of things but he's learned a lot and so Maybe there is a curse. Maybe there is a legend. I mean, he was in love with the the moon spirit. The moon spirit. So <laughs> yeah, I would hope true. that he's embraced that part of of the world. They go into the tunnels. The Fire Nation starts to pursue them, but they're like, "Haven't you heard the song? We better not follow them." And so they just <laughs> cause a cave in instead oh and block them in. And so they are left to to figure out how to get through and uh, one thing leads to another appa gets spooked by some wolf bats that fly around and causes a cave-in yeah wolf bats are scary for real i think those might be worse than canyon crawlers for real yeah and or the sure shoe which one is the sure shoe the 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 one that can smell scents or see scents the face thing yeah no no that thing will forever be the worst i mean it is pretty scary no. Yeah, but the wolf bat. I'll take a wolf bat any freaking day. <laughs> I would day. not. I would not. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Katara and it literally and... ran away on all fours. <laughs> it flew and it has teeth and then ran away on all fours. No, it's a uh, that there. It has too many skill that sets. That thing had the face <laughs> of a child. Not, no, oh, you're not talking okay. about Ko. Oh, that's what I'm talking scare. about. Oh no, 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 no. That's what I was talking no, about. No, the Shushu is the thing that can like. Knock people out with its tongue. Oh, yeah, it's like, like big, the anteater like, yeah. thing. Yeah, anteater with like the little the star nose mole face. Yes. Oh. Okay. The, but but yes, I will see that Ko is very. Ko is terrifying. I was like, the face, no, yes. guys, you're not gonna, spirit, you're not gonna convince not, me. Not an animal, <laughs> right? Okay. With right. Okay. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fam. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, Avatar, I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so Aang and Katara and Appa, due to this cave-in, get separated from the rest and. Chong is like, hey, Sokka, well, at least you got us. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'd rather not. I think what I love most about this episode is how much Sokka hates 
this episode <laughs> because it's just it, it like if it was just the the storytellers and the in the in basically the bards it wouldn't be nearly as funny if like you didn't witness the cringe right of Sokka every time they spoke yeah <laughs> oh, no, he should, it's almost like he's a super conservative person left with like these super hippies and he's it's his worst nightmare he just yeah. can't handle it cannot and I think handle it's, it. Like, it just, and not even when they sing it's just like any feedback they right. give him. They're not listening. They're not paying attention. Wait, I had an idea like an hour ago. Yeah. Oh, we're thinking of we're ideas. I didn't know that's what we were doing. Ideas. It's just, it, it drives him nuts. And, and I think that just adds so much extra and spiciness to it goes to back this to like the, the fact that Sokka is the reasonable one, the, the logical thinking one in this, in the group. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorite moments in the episode is at the end when Katara's like, why do you have that red mark on that forehead? What's that from? <laughs> and then that's when Chong comes up and says, hey, I think that kid might be the Avatar. <laughs> he, slaps he just his... slaps his forehead. <laughs> face palms. All, all the face palms that he's actually <laughs> starting to bruise himself. <laughs> yeah. So Aang and Katara, as they start making their way through the tunnels, they do come across the tomb that mm-hmm. encases the two lovers from the legend. So not a legend. It really happened, or at least it seems to have happened. It wasn't a dream. It really happened. Thanks, thank you, Space Jam. And uh, they they see a mural, and so we get a little sort of cutscene mural of the full story of the that two lovers. That was really cool. Which is, mm-hmm. it's very Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. They learned earthbending from badger moles and were the first earthbenders. They built the tunnels to meet in secret from warring villages. He was he was eventually killed. She nearly unleashed her earthbending wrath on them all, but instead built a city as a memorial. Her name was Oma, and his was Shu, so the city was named Omashu, which is a really touching thing, I think. I also thought it was interesting that this is the second, I think it's only the second, origin we've gotten for a bending, mm, mm-hmm. where the, the water bending came from watching the moon and watching the tides and the push oh, and yeah. pull, yeah. and then the earth bending apparently came from badger moles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we've gotten an official origin for- Airbending? airbending or firebending fire i do yeah. think we get those in time mm-hmm. but we haven't gotten them yet so anyways katara in this moment as their torch is starting to run out says you know what i think this is a crazy idea but here we're in the tomb and it says trust in love and it says love is brightest in the dark and she's maybe putting it together kiss, maybe i guess and she's not she's not really coming at it from a romantic way i don't think she doesn't have the the blushing when she suggests it she's like oh this is kind of weird but maybe this is what'll work ang is like "Ooh, kissing (laughs) (laughs) maybe i'd I'd like that (laughs) says everything Uh, wrong but then (laughs) katara doubts the the suggestion and ang then firmly plants his foot in his mouth and (laughs) that doesn't seem like it's going to be a possibility anymore until their torch runs out and they literally have no source of light and so they kiss or yeah, they kiss and uh, implied. Yeah, we don't actually see it, no. but the way they react at the end of the episode, I'm assuming it did happen. Mm-hmm. And crystals light up on the ceiling. Crystals light up on the ceiling, and so that was how it actually worked. Was when there was dark, the crystals glowed, and they had a path. And so they make their way out. And I guess to finish up this part of the story real quick, Sokka and the nomads are attacked by the badger moles. Mm-hmm. So those are real, which lends credence again to the whole legend. And Sokka accidentally strums on the guitar from <laughs> Chong and makes up this quick song. Uh, I, don't, I didn't write down the words, but he's 
He's like, come on, guys, help me. Yeah. <laughs> and Chong whips out a second guitar from the sleeves of his clothes mm-hmm. <laughs> and has this like action song that's really great. So they ride the badger moles to safety. And that's that's the ending of that. We let love lead us out of the tunnel. <laughs> oh, oh, really? We let giant monsters. <laughs> ferocious beasts. Yeah. Ferocious beasts lead ours. So is there anything else to say about that part of the story? It, it really is the lighter thing mm-hmm. that happens here because there is other things that happen in this episode mm-hmm. that have a little bit more a little bit more to them. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's it. Okay. Well, that leads us to Iroh and, and Zuko, Zuko yeah. who we see for the first time as fugitives, proper fugitives, having cut off their familial ponytails as a display of lost honor at the end of last episode. And they're not doing so hot. Nope. He's hungry. Uncle Iroh's like questioning all of his knowledge. <laughs> yeah, he only showed up for half of his Boy Scout meetings. Yeah. <laughs> and has guessed incorrectly. <laughs> so yeah, not going so great. He Delectable catches like the tea little fish. Or deadly poison. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a poison, Uncle, and so they, they are forced to seek help. Mm-hmm. And their choice is do we risk going to the Fire Nation where we're fugitives and we'll be turned over to Azula right. or do we risk going to the Earth Nation, Earth Kingdom where we are enemies us. and yeah. they'll just kill us and so they decide to go with they Earth They literally Earth rather yeah. die. Yeah. yeah. Than go with Azula. So. Neither of them are even messing with Azula. <laughs> Not gonna do it. Not a little bit. She's scary. Even Uncle's like, yeah. I, I did that last time. She a bit unhinged. Let's go to the Earth Kingdom. <laughs> I need to recharge <laughs> a little a bit. bit. unhinged. <laughs> so they come across this nice little spa and uncle is treated to some lotion to, to help his rashes that he's developed from this poison and sort of nurse back to health. Mm-hmm. They assume the aliases of Lee for Zuko or as uncle calls him just junior mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, uncle is Mushi, which he doesn't <laughs> love, but that's why he calls Zuko junior. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this, this girl, her name is song and her mother who doesn't have an official name, take them to their place for dinner. Mm-hmm. They, they show them a lot of kindness, one in nursing uncle back to good health, but also in deciding to feed them and letting them partake in their dinner. Mm-hmm. And Zuko is sort of subjected to the realities of what the Fire Nation has wrought on people up mm-hmm. close and personal. Yeah, so she shows her scar on her leg. Mm-hmm. And says that, you know, I, I haven't seen my father since I was a kid because he was taken in a Fire Nation raid as, when I was a child. Right, mm-hmm. And Zuko, like sort of can commiserate like i haven't seen my father either and she goes oh is he fighting in the war yes and we we don't we don't say the whole truth but yes you know zuko then admits yes that it's his father is fighting in the war because his father is the cause of the war but right so i don't quite get that far so what do you think zuko's thoughts are in that moment when she shares her own scars from the fire nation do you think it's guilt at what the fire nation has done or do you think it's sort of solidarity with song at realizing how the war has affected both of them in somewhat similar ways i think you could say it's a little bit of both Mm -hmm. he might like drew said in his kind of first realized from a different standpoint, what the Fire Nation has actually done to others that aren't within his his nation. So he hasn't really seen the after the aftermath of their destruction up close for Earthbenders or, or the Earth Kingdom or the Water Nation, any of them. He hasn't really seen the aftermath of any of it until he talks to songs. So I think he can feel a little bit of guilt 
And then also he hasn't had anybody else come to him with scars like he has, mm-hmm. mm. which is first time. Someone as young, I think, as him. I think there's a bit more of the the second part of a kind of commiseration with her. And there's a realization that the I think this might be the, the seed that really starts to take root in Zuko's mind that he's technically supposed to be an ally of mm-hmm. the Fire Nation. and this girl that he's just met song is, you know, was also hurt from mm. the fire nation. So both within the, the fire nation itself and without the fire nation, people are getting hurt. Right. I, it might be the first time he, he recognizes his marks, his burn as a consequence of fire nation ideology. Right. And we, we've seen him doubt, the fire nation in the past i think back to the blue spirit in episode one at the end of the episode he returns to his ship and his bedroom and as he turns in his bed he looks up at the the fire nation emblem on the wall and turns his back to it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so he's been sort of having these doubts for a while but uh yeah he confronted with it i think he's understanding that yeah the fire nation are bad people it's not really fair to hold the ruthlessness of the fire nation against Zuko because song is right that the, the fire nation has done a lot to everyone, even to Zuko. And yes, it's different because of his status as part of the Royal family, technically and all that kind of stuff, but he's still hurt nonetheless. Right. But that does lead to the moment when after they have been fed and they leave with full bellies song says one final thing as they're about to walk away. She says that, she knows that he's feeling hurt, knows that there's he's no lost faith, yeah. but there's hope out there. The Avatar is back. Haven't you heard? And yeah, yeah, he's heard. I, I know. A bit of salt in the wound there. And yeah. so do you think it's that comment, just the fact that she brought up the Avatar that leads to what happens next, which is he takes their ostrich horse yeah. as one more thing he's owed? Maybe that's the wrong way to phrase it. He. He says to Uncle, well, Uncle's response when he first grabs the, the ostrich horse is, they just showed you a whole lot of kindness. And Zuko says, well, they're going to show us one more. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's to sort of retaliate for bringing up the Avatar when it's such a sore subject almost for him? Almost to say, like, he was good all the way up until that moment. I guess almost like he, the whole experience with staying with them and hearing their story and, and her talking about her experience kind of softened him towards what the Fire Nation's goal, ultimate goal was to destroy the Avatar and be the one ruling nation. Kind of, it almost like had him sidetracked. And then with her bringing up the Avatar, like, oh, he's back, didn't you hear? And I think that almost centered him back into his, his hate fire mm-hmm. for, I, for everything. I was just sort of asking the question to ask it, but I do think I have a response. But Andrew, I'm curious if you you look like you're pondering something. No, I need to process this a little bit more because I'm trying to remember a little bit of where this season goes mm-hmm. and like what what Zuko's immediate projection is. He he takes this horse. Obviously, they're traveling. They're trying to get away from you know remain hidden from the Fire Nation and not give themselves up to the Earth Kingdom as being, whether, you know, involved with the Fire Nation or ex-members of the Fire Nation, that's not going to fly when they're, if they're caught in the Earth Kingdom either. So I'm trying to remember, like, where Zuko's going, why he needed the horse in the first place, or if is he needing it as, like, I don't have my ship anymore, 
I still need to chase the avatar. I still think my honor is involved with this. He's already removed himself. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I mean, I definitely think that in these moments where we, you see both, you see both sides, you see him really affected by what song shows him, mm-hmm. but you also see him still not fully committed to the fact that he will never be back into the fire nation. So we're, we're in a, a weird middle ground when it comes to Zuko because he knows that his family's trash essentially. Like he knows that, I mean, he's been burned by his father, both figuratively and literally. And then you have his sister who literally just tried to kill him because after her failed attempt to get him on a boat as a prisoner. So it's just like it, he's in a weird position of I thought I was at least in a place where it was a possibility to come back. And it's hard to see, like, if he's fully let that go or if he honestly thinks that there might be still a, a vision of hope in the future. And what hope that he might be hearing, like when Song says that, that there is hope and that the Avatar is here can be taken in two different ways. He either needs to go help the Avatar or he needs to go find the avatar so he can re- restore his honor to the fight. Like you can like those words have a dual meaning in Zuko's mind, mm-hmm. his hope to be back into the fire nation and his hope to really stop the fire nation. He's, he's at a bigger crossroads in terms of what his next steps are. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why, I mean, that's why this is a great question is because you can see both sides of it and there's no real clear path, which is also why I kind of love the fact that this is, you know, part of the show is that yes, you have Aang as you have this kind of chosen one archetype going through, you have, you know, the support characters and everything like that. But even your pseudo villain is going through major changes Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to tell where his head is at, what he's thinking and, and, you know, why he seems so callous to people who were so generous to him and, and, and what he's planning on doing with these, you know, resources, because it's, it is hard to tell, but it is ultimately up to Zuko to make that decision. Here's the thought I had while Melanie was talking earlier, and I, I've sort of solidified it a little bit while you were talking, Andrew, I, I don't think he's having the thought that maybe I should go help Aang. I don't think he has that conflict just yet, but I do think what occurs to him in that moment is that the Avatar has always meant hope for me because it was my chance to go back home, which is more or less what you were, right. some, some of what you were just saying. But when, when Song brings it up in this moment, that, that hope for the Avatar is gone. And so I don't think he feels the hope of salvation from the Avatar in this moment, I think he just sees the loss of the potential salvation with his family or not salvation mm. with his family, but reconnection with his family mm-hmm. from Aang. And so for her to say, yeah, that the, the avatar brings hope, he says, well, that hope is gone for me. And so I'm going to take your ostrich horse. So it's, a, it's the trade off of, of right. that hope. Yes. Mm-hmm. He realizes that his hope dies when her hope is born. Right. That they, she has hope because the avatar has returned and is going to save her. He had hope that the avatar was back and he's going to capture. Aang. Mm-hmm. But now even if he captures Aang, is he really going to be right. 
accepted back into the family. Plus, he doesn't even have the resources he had mm-hmm. when he wasn't able to capture and maintain capture of Aang. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think that's what occurred to me just now is that it, it was just like a realization that, yeah, he meant hope at one point, but not anymore. Not to Zuko. Not to Zuko. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And so so Uncle reluctantly goes along with Zuko on the ostrich horse and they ride off. And it's worth pointing out that song witnesses yeah. this this sort of treachery after the kindness that they just showed. And she mm. just sort of forlornly closes the door, like, I guess that's just the way it is. This is one more loss for my family. But she doesn't try and stop him or anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't remember if we ever see her again. I'm inclined to say no, but it is just I I don't know how to frame this. It's not like this is a lesson, but it's like sometimes people hurt and they react in ways that hurt other people. Yeah. That's just what Zuko does here. Yeah. I don't think she holds it against him. It's just a disappointment. Mm -hmm. I think there's some non pun driven fire analogy that you can make to that, that Zuko's Zuko has been burned. Right. And just like we learned with the fire master, the the outlawed one, yeah. Oh, um, uh, Zhang Zhang. Yes, just like we learned with Zhang Zhang, that it is one of the few elements that, if not extremely, di- if you're not extremely disciplined with, will hurt and spread beyond your control. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think that that kind of plays into his character. Zuko's character quite a bit in the sense that he has this kind of burning rage. He has this very passionate and fiery characteristic about him and that he, at least in these early stages, doesn't realize how much he's affecting his environment by doing so. Mm -hmm. Iroh's there to try to reel him back in best as he can, but ultimately he just, he is hurt and just like fire when hurt only knows how to hurt others. Yeah. I think there's a there's there's an analogy that can be made there. Yeah, I agree for sure. I don't really have anything else to add. I think we covered everything pretty well. I think so. Yeah. The only other thing I'll mention is that there are multiple points in this episode where there's snippets from a specific song. It's not really a spoiler to give the title of the song. It's called Leaves from the Vine. But we definitely hear snippets of Leaves from the Vine in this episode for the first time. And we'll be sure to highlight that as we get to its moment. Because Avatar fans who've seen the show, which I'm assuming is most, if not all people who are listening to this right now, they know what Leaves from the Vine is. And uh, it's going to hurt. But we're going to get through (laughs) it together, everybody. It's the the sad song of this episode. But uh, you know what? What I say to that is uh, don't let the cave-in get you down. So... um, (laughs) With that, that's the end of... Well, hold on. <laughs> Sorry. Hold the, the only thing left to do is to sort of speculate what's coming next. I mean, so we see where it ends. We're in Omashu. <laughs> oh, There's yeah. Smoke They're going to have to sneak in. They're going to have to sneak in. Yeah. I, I, Melanie, do you have any thoughts about where's Boomy? Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> if I were thinking like he would be, I'm sure. He would probably be hiding just because okay. I feel like he knows if he were ca- captured, he's w- way too valuable to be captured. Mm-hmm. The most powerful earthbender yep. we've ever seen. So he is hiding. I, that's my guess. Okay, cool. So, I mean, we're going to have to see what happens, what 
what the gang's plan is as they approach Amashu, because now that it's apparently under Fire Nation control, it's not like I can just walk in and say, hey, I'm here for some earthbending teaching. <laughs> Where's Boomy? You guys cool, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyways, with that, that is the end of the 22nd episode of Crossroads of Destiny. Thank you all for listening. You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash xroadspod or at xroadspod on Twitter. You can go over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. That's a huge help to us in expanding our audience. If you have feedback or ideas, you can email xroadspod at gmail.com. And there's always our voicemail, which we'd love to hear people reach out to us through. It is 3145-YIP-YIP, which is 314-594-7947. So, Melanie, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me at MelanieAmanda44 on Instagram. And Andrew, as always, you can reach through our official channels or through Melanie or I. And speaking of I, <laughs> the best place is at Shadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. There's my other podcast you can check out, The Cinescope Podcast and An American Workplace. And uh, show notes and contact information for this show can be found at xroadspod.com. And uh, that is all for this episode. We'll talk to you in episode 23 when we talk about book two, chapter three, The Return to Omashu. Bye, everybody. Bye.